0: Romans chapter 7. And verse 14 says this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do. How many of us have been there before? Man. But I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. Paul's having a very real conversation with us right now. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. So here's the law. Here's the thing, the mechanism that he's going to throw at us. He says this, um, but I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law. I want to follow God, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. He would go on to tell us over the final chapters of Romans that his name is Jesus that Jesus is, Jesus is the one that rescues us. and But in this series, uh, the series seven that we've been in, we've been discussing these really big topics that we would find throughout the historicity of the church that would kind of be dialed into these seven, what is known as the seven deadly sins or the seven uh, deadly vices. And for many of us, we've heard sin messages before that kind of go like this, you're bad, you're horrible, repent. Mm-hmm. Some of us have heard that before. What I've loved about this series is that We kind of all can understand like Paul in Romans 7 That there's stuff going on inside of us But have you ever asked like I've asked Like what's the deal with it? Like what's really going on? And so this series 7 has really enabled us to drive into these ideas and, and talk about what's really going on sub-surface. That a lot of the behaviors that we engage in in life that are destructive to who we are, that are destructive to the fullness that God has for us, are simply just behaviors. And now we can wander through life through behavior modification or, come on somebody, we can deal with the sickness. How many of you know it's one thing to deal with the symptom, it's a whole other thing to deal with the sickness? And And so that's what this series has been if you're you're new with us. But today as we continue on in this series 7, I want to speak to you from the subject the violence within as we deal with the issue of wrath. Yay! Pray with me one more time before we, before we get into this. Jesus, we love you. We need your voice right now. Speak to us right now. Teach us right now. Challenge us right now. We give these moments over to you. Have your way in this place. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and the church shouted, yeah. amen. All right, show of hands. This is like a therapeutic moment, but how many of you would consider yourself at different moments prone to anger while driving? Come on. Like, put it up. But, uh, okay, a lot of us in here, 10, like 9 a.m., they were rageaholics. So, uh, <laughs> everybody's like, yeah, we're bad. Um, that's why they drive early in the morning. But they, as we've been talking about this thing, I've noticed in my life, in the beginning years of driving, I didn't have issues like I have now. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like I was just happy to be driving at that age, right? Like, I've got a car. So I was pumped about that. But as, my, as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that I've, I've got some issues inside of me. And I have my friend police officer here today. And uh, so you plug your ears over this next illustration. <laughs> so um, how many of you know that the left lane is the fast lane? Okay. there's the church wow they got excited and if you are not aware that the left lane is the fast lane it is literally in the bible okay Ezekiel 4 left lane is thou vast fast lane okay it's not really in there it's not in there at all so if we're aware that the left lane is the fast lane I am very aware that the left lane is the fast lane. And so here's my gauge. Um, I will drive about 15 miles over the speed limit. 10 to 15 in the fast lane. And that's just for, I'm doing everybody a favor, okay? But how many of you, and you know what I'm talking about, you drive that fast in the fast lane as well, but then you get the guy behind you that tries to push you in the fast lane. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so there's this guy, he rolls up on you and for me when I was younger it wasn't a problem but as I've gotten older in life, kids in the car, wife in the car, I've got more to defend. Like it starts, when that guy gets up on me in the left lane, like it all starts to like, It's there, it's right here, and it starts to come up. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Where it wants to take over your face, it takes over your soul, it takes over your extremities, like that's boiling up inside of me. Because the guy behind me wants to push me in the left lane. And what does he do in this moment? He keeps on pushing you, he gets up on you, he gets up on because he wants you to transfer to the right lane. Okay? But now by principle, I'm not gonna transfer to the right lane. I'm already driving, driving illegally in the left lane. So I'm going to hold on to my illegal maneuvers and I, you shall not pass. (laughs) I told you, don't listen. (laughs) I love you, bro. So this is what happens as it ensues, it's boiling up inside of me and, and, and I'm starting to get a little bit agitated and frustrated and angry and everything like that. So what does driver behind you do? He goes into the right lane. Doesn't he? And then he passes you. And upon passing you, he does not flip you off. He does not swear at you. What does he do? He gives you the most condescending look in the world. He just has his hand and he just looks at you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? Like he just looks at you like, oh, you're so small. Right? And then he just keeps on driving. And then what does he do? He gets in front of you and he slows down. And then he takes off, speeding into the distance. And I don't know if you're like me, in that nanosecond between him slowing down to just give a jab, and then him speeding up to take off, there's this thing, that, this thought that goes through your head. It says, man, I, I, like, I, hope, I pray to the Lord Jesus right now that there is a cop just 30 feet. Come on, can I get a witness in church today? Right? You know what I'm talking about. Like, and then some of you, you won't admit this, but you think worse thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> right. See, wrath is a tricky one because if we're not careful, we could simply make this one about behavior modification. We can make this don't yell, don't swear, don't hit. And the problem is that these types of responses would only represent some of us in here today. We would say to ourselves, I don't do those things and so I'm not an angry person or I'm not a, a wrathful person person. See, but the problem that we actually face today is the confusion between simple anger and the complex reality of wrath in our lives. You see, anger is a reactive feeling that says something's wrong and needs to be set right. Wrath is the excessive, misdirected, vengeful expression of our own bruised ego. Yay. See, how many of you would agree with me? Anger tends to rise and fall with emotion. Right, like it, that's at its base value. Anger is an emotion, and if you you would know this by way of like I can quickly be angry, but if we deal with what we could deal with the thing that's making me emotional like this, I can quickly like it subsides, just like that. I know that I can be in the throes of an argument with my wife, and we can be angry with each other. And the minute somebody says, "What? I'm sorry. Will you forgive me?" What happens to the emotion of anger? It deflates because it's more of an emotion. It's an emotive. Response. See, anger is usually we got to talk about anger before we get to wrath. So, just track with me this morning. Anger is usually the product of other underlying issues. Anger is usually the chosen emotion when I do not know how to express my true feelings of fear, shame, and sadness. I was talking to a counselor about this. Um, for those of you who have taken the Enneagram before other personality tests, I'm an eight. Surprise on the Enneagram. My personality is drive. My personality is move forward. My personality is strength. That's like, that's, that's the thing, right? And so for me, if I'm really honest with you, anger, that's what comes out of me because shame, fear, and sadness tend to be emotions that I don't know how to express very well. Like this is just a super candid moment in church this morning, right? Let me illustrate it this way. Um, My kid got lost looking for ducks one day. In our neighborhood. My son. And he took and he took off and and we didn't know where he was at, he was gone. And when I when I went out to go find him to get him inside, it was one of those moments, you know, like parents especially would know this, when your kid gets lost, everything turns into a different storyline. Right? Like the clown from it is on the sidewalk. Every, like every bad thing in the world is out there my kid's bike was laying in the middle of the street and all I could think about was like the worst thoughts that were going on and it was in that moment that I'm starting to get frantic and, and, I'm, and I'm scared and I'm sad and, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost ashamed of myself because I'm dad I'm supposed to protect right so I find him about 35 minutes later on the in the other neighborhood hunting ducks literally just walking with ducks shooting them with rubber darts <laughs> Which was awesome in and of itself. (laughs) So how many of you know that being the dad that I am, the godly man that I am, I ran up to him and I grabbed him by the face and I just kissed his face and she goes, son, welcome home. Uh Uh-uh. I was like many of you. I got angry. You ever done that before? You get angry at a situation that in hindsight you go, why did I get angry at that situation? It's because nine times out of ten, it's an emotion that's trying to display or speak to other emotions that are going on. That's anger. It rises and falls. Wrath is a totally different set of circumstances. So this is why Paul the Apostle would write in Ephesians 4, 26 about anger. He'd say, be angry. Don't sin in it. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? And don't give the devil an opportunity. I find it interesting that he says don't give the devil an opportunity right here. And I've been thinking about like what is the opportunity that he's talking about? Anger held on to becomes wrath lived out. Did you hear me today? Because we have the choice, this is what Paul's saying right here, we have the choice To let go of anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I have the choice to deal with the fear and the sadness and the shame that I'm feeling. Or I can hold on to anger. And if I let the sun go down on that anger. All of a sudden that morphs into something. Because I allow it to take root in my soul. And it becomes something more sadistic and more poisonous and more frustrating to my life. And we call it wrath. Wrath's disorder requires that we have a sense of justice to be perverted. Wrath's purpose and desire is to eliminate any obstacle to our self-seeking, to retaliate against any threat to our security, to avenge any insult or injury to our person. In other words, wrath undermines the purity of justice. Did you hear that? Wrath undermines the, the purity of justice. And so, what we can do is, if we're not careful, we can pervert good causes through wrong means. Here's a prime example. This one's going to touch buttons, but it's a prime example. How many of you remember the A21 walk we just did a couple weeks ago? Right? That was a a movement of justice. We're saying we want to shed light. We want to shed light on an atrocity that is happening in our generation right now. That was a healthy way to walk with justice, desiring justice in this thing. So we did the A21 walk, we didn't do the A21 death march a different walk. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? We're trying to expose this. We're going to trust God with this justice project. But wrath says I'm not going to trust God with this justice project. Let's go hunt down the people that are doing this and wipe them off the planet. Right. Which if we're very very honest inside of our heads right now we're going, yeah that actually makes sense. Yeah, right. Right? Because we look at the subject matter and we go, it's justified. But the problem is, is God doesn't say it's justified. Right because of what it does to us. See, wrath then is the disposition of one who believes that a just universe or a just God must make things work disproportionately in our favor. And if they don't, we will take it upon ourselves to redeem such situations no matter the cost to ourselves and others. In the movie Man on Fire, Denzel Washington, come on somebody, (laughs) I secretly want to be Denzel, okay? (laughs) Denzel Washington plays the bodyguard of a young nine-year-old girl who is kidnapped. Upon the kidnapping, Creasy, Denzel's character, sets out to find her and rescue her. In the throes of vicious criminals and crooked cops, Creasy takes this over-the-edge approach to rectify the situation. One that albeit includes mass destructions and a body count that would add up really quick. And so in this telling but insightful conversation in the movie, this old man, in talking with him, says to Crazy this, and I, I want you to hear this because this is, this is what we're dealing with in this issue of wrath. He says this, you know, in the church, they tell you to forgive. To which Creasy replies, the forgiveness is between them and God. My job is to arrange the meeting. <laughs> wrath. Yeah, right. It's self-promoting. But in a dressed up kind of way. Self-righteous kind of way. And we can invent all sorts of rationalizations in the form of why we deserve what we want. Why others didn't give us what we were really owed. Why we need to act this way to claim our rightful share with the banner of self-righteousness over us. And then what happens is that anger storms in, takes over, and once again we're in this vicious cycle. How many of you can picture what I'm talking about right now? So what is wrath? What are we really dealing with? I want you to hear this this morning. Write this down if you're taking notes. Wrath is stripped down as this. Wrath is about selfishness and it's about control. Wrath is about selfishness and it is about control. You know, at the end of the day, the wrath will have a preoccupation with how everything in the world impacts them. Selfishness. And because of this preoccupation, they then work overtime in order to bring control into their world... And it through their own power and abilities. I want you to hear this. Power, the power, the source of power to maintain control is wrath. It becomes our superpower. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The superhero in the movie. And he's good in the beginning, isn't he? Right? He's good with the whole idea of like, okay, I'm a super I'm like I'm a I'm a super powerful person. I'm I'm this superhero and I'm going to save lives and I'm going to exact justice and I'm going to do all these things. But then what happens? In the middle of the movie, what happens? Their best friends taken from them. Their spouse is taken from them. The city's half blowing up, whatever it may be. And then what happens? The superhero all of a sudden turns. His face changes. His countenance changes, and what does he do? He then uses his superpower of vengeance, the superpower of wrath, to go about his business. And that's what we do. We may not be able to fly, but we are really good at making sure that we maintain control by way of wrath. It's dangerous. It gets convoluted. And see, wrath flows from, am I talking to anybody this morning? (laughs) Wrath flows from a desire to have safety and security, which in and of itself is not bad. How many of you agree with me? Safety and security is good. These two realities in and of themselves are not bad things. But here's the deal with wrath, is that wrath becomes the process in which we try to receive these two things. And on the journey of receiving these two good things through bad means, we hurt ourselves and we hurt those around us. It's like love. How many of us have been there before? I want love. I want a relationship. And then what do we do? We go through all these twists and turns and journey to try to control the situation and get what we want in the name of love. And then when we get the love that we were looking for, we cannot enjoy it because how we got it was inappropriate. That's wrath. I want safety, I want security, but wrath causes us to receive it in a way that's inappropriate, and therefore we cannot enjoy it, so therefore we abuse it. Wrath is the desire to possess what is good, but to get to get it through inappropriate ways. In his book, Wishful Thinking, Frederick Butchner, writes it like this He says Of the seven deadly sins, wrath is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last twosome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are going to give back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is what you are really wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. See, wrath is all about destruction, and that destruction begins with us. So, while it seems harmless in the car, wishing somebody to get pulled over by the cops, (laughs) it's a seed that takes root, right? And then every time you're in the car, everybody needs to get pulled over by the cops. And then it's like, ah, if I just bump them a little bit... (laughs) Why? Well, Rebecca DeYoung once again summarizes this in her book Glittering Vices. This is what she writes. The wrathful seek revenge. Not do punishment. They protect their own honor and cause at all costs. Instead of defending what is truly good or deserved, unhinged from justice, bad anger aims at another's injury rather than another's good. Wrath then produces in us the inability to love. Let that sink in for a minute. There's an antithesis to this, though. I actually think that the opposite side of wrath is embodied by the great Martin Luther King Jr. As he would stand in stark contrast to wrath by saying this, returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Come on, somebody. Only love can do that. So these two can't coexist together. We can't love and be full of wrath. So what do we do with wrath? How do we how do it? How do we navigate this very dark and sinister reality at play in our lives? The good news is that there are some truths and practical behaviors that help us de- defeat the dysfunction of wrath. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time together is we're going to look at a truth and then we're going to look at a behavior associated with that truth. Is that good? Yeah. Can we do that? Does that? that makes sense to everybody? So three truths, three behaviors. But I need your help this morning. Come on, every shot number one. On. Here's the first truth. Wrath is the product of an order that is out of order. Wrath is the product of an order that is out of order. Wrath is the product of an inappropriate order in life, especially where we, ourselves is concerned. When we are the center of the universe, wrath becomes the, the reliable source of power needed in order to maintain it. Understanding the disorder of our order helps us reorder our lives. Let me say that one more time. Understanding the disorder of our order helps us reorder our lives. Does that make sense? So we have to understand that at the end of the day, wrath is an issue that is in play when we feel like we're at the center of the universe. And this is really easy for us to do, isn't it? Like, let's be very honest. Have you ever gotten mad at somebody because they're driving slower because it's impacting you? Let's just go to the driving thing. Because in the car, that's where it all flushes itself out. Let's be honest, right? And we get mad at them because they're driving slow. Are they doing anything wrong to you? No. They don't even care about you. They don't care about me. But how many of us know we make it about us? why are you driving so slow? Don't you know that I have to get to work? I'm already late. I spilled the coffee on me. People, ha, ha, and we're freaking out. And in their car, they're listening to Enya, having the greatest time of their life. (laughs) They don't care, but we're like, oh, we're next level. It's about to go nuclear. Why? Because we're the center of our own universe. Everything is about, this is why we invented minute rice. Because rice shouldn't take 20 minutes. Rice should not impact my lifespan. Does not rice know I have better things to do with my life? Come on. (laughs) In counseling, they would actually use this term wrath to help us understand narcissists. That wrath is actually a part of narcissistic behavior. Why? Because the greatest issue that narcissists face is what? I'm the center of the universe. And the only way to maintain my centeredness is to exact punishment upon anybody who potentially changes that narrative. Wow. Yeah. Wrath. So we've got to, here's the practical application, write this down. So the truth one is that, that at the end of the day, here's the first, first truth, wrath is the product of an order that is out of order. So here's the behavior. We must remove ourselves from the center of the universe, right I was with my family this week, and we were uh, we were hanging out in my my uh, myself, Erica, and our two older kids were having a conversation, and this is like something that's developing as our, in our family as they get older, but I have this two-year-old, and she is the cutest thing ever, like her hair's getting blonder, and she's like she's just cute, she's a lot of fun, but she he's, she's spunky, like she's gonna be our funny one, I think, she's probably gonna get in the most trouble um, <laughs> class clown, written all over it but she was walking down the hallway and she came into our convert like in the hallway, she got to the end of the hallway, we're talking over here, and she comes in and she goes I'm here! And there's an A at the end of it. It's not a cl- like I'm not here. Here, that's how it, I'm here. And we ignored her because that's what good family does. <laughs> so, but what played out was very interesting to me. Is then a, a, a couple seconds goes by, and then she goes, "I'm here again." Wanting us to acknowledge her, acknowledge her presence. And she did it one more time because none of us acknowledge, because at this point now we're playing a game. (laughs) I'm here! To which I looked at her, and when I finally looked at her, we were like, hi. And she's like, (laughs) gives this attitude. And you know what the funny thing is? Is that many of us walk into life like that? I'm here! We walk into our workplaces, I'm here. Right? We walk into our churches, I'm here. And if nobody sees us, you're dead. Why? Because we want to be the center of the universe. Colossians three twelve through 13. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on selfishness. The need to be seen by everybody. No, no, no put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, if that isn't a recipe for healing, I don't know what is. It's about humility. Realizing that we're not the center. That's what humility is, is realizing that we are not the center of the universe. So what do we need to do? We've got to put God at the center of our universe. When God is at the center of the universe, everything changes. It flips the script so that's the first truth come on shot number two here's the second truth wrath is a poison that contaminates our own container over time there have been so many variations to this quote that I'm about to read it's hard to attribute it to a specific author so I just want to be able to say this so you know this is not my this is not my thought this is not my source alright but I'm sourcing someone someone once said this wrath is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die Think about that. Wrath is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. How many of you know that that doesn't work? Just for clarity's sake. Wrath is like drinking poison and waiting for Sarah to experience what that poison should do. I can't believe her. Look at her relationship with Dave. (laughs) Can I have a cup? Can I have a cup? Let me see that cup right there. There you go. Let's let's illustrate this. Look at this is poison, by the way, not Kirkland water. Can't believe Sarah and Dave. Look at him, so happy. I'm not happy. I didn't have that marriage. They can't understand what I'm going through because they don't have that. And the whole time in our head we're thinking maybe if they just got a taste of what I've been through. Maybe they would be able to understand me better. Maybe God would be better. I'm just poisoning myself. Is that making sense? Yeah. So what do we have to do? <laughs> we have to pour it out. Yeah. yeah. That's good. It's good. It's good. It's really Come on, somebody. Yeah. Everybody's all concerned that I just poured water on the carpet. <laughs> We're out of here. Yeah, it's water. Six month old. <laughs> it doesn't stain. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Come on, somebody. Yeah. yeah. So you want the action plan? The action plan is pour it out. Yeah. Come on, return your neighbor and say pour it, out. Pour, it out. pour it out. Turn back to them and say you pour it out. <laughs> Church father Thomas Aquinas helps us understand that if we're dumping out the poison of wrath, then it, then it clears us up. But for a lot of us, we struggle with dumping it out because we're comfortable with the dysfunction, aren't we? <laughs> How do we know if we're dealing with this? Well, here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's, here's one. Here's a heads up. If I get angry too easily, mm. I'm irritable. Mm. Come on, have you ever met somebody who's irritable if the wind blows the wrong way? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you know what I'm talking about. It's wind. <laughs> maybe you get angrier than you should. This is what we call explosive people. They just, boom! Mm. Or maybe, maybe it's staying angry for too long. Resentfulness looks like this. Relationship A hurt me. I move to relationship B. And because I'm not dealt with on relationship A, I make relationship B feel what relationship A should feel. Oh, let's go further. Church A hurt me. I went to church B, but because I haven't dealt with the things that I needed to from church A, I will now make church B face and deal with everything that I believe A deserves. Job A... Are you guys getting the picture? And I'm going to go to job B. It's dangerous. This is wrath. Wrath is this, making others pay for what they did not do. So how do I dump out the poison? Because that sounds easy, doesn't it? We can say things like, dump it out dump out the poison. And we all start dumping water all over the floor. Right? That'd be fun. It's so much easier said than done. Here's why. Because for a lot of us we've gotten comfortable with the poison. We've actually come, we've grown accustomed to the poison. Here, give me another, give me another cup. Where's another cup? I'm not going to dump this one out, I promise. Okay? We've become accustomed to the poison. Check this out. We've become immune to it. Without it, We literally have effects like coming off of. Where's my my poison? Where's my poison? It's my defense mechanism. Are you guys? Are you guys feeling me this this morning? This is big stuff. This is heavy, heavy stuff. Where's where's my poison? And so, what do we do? Is we look around. We go around looking for poison. And so, guess what? This is how this works. Oh, I want you to see this. We didn't say this in the other services, Devon. That's your poison right here. And I'm like, who's got poison? Come on, think about this, right? Who's got poison? Who's got poison right now? I just need, I need, oh, Devon. Devon's got poison. (laughs) Give me your poison. Give me your poison. And then we have this term, misery loves company. company. Mm. Or wrath loves company. So now we're sharing each other's poison. This poison gets empty. Oh, wait till you see this. Come here, bud. Come here. Now we got two poison seekers. Looking for somebody else with poison. Danny's got poison. Oh, he's got a beard and poison. We're going to share his poison. Uh-oh. Now it's Steven's got poison. Yeah. And so now, check this out. What do we see? Now we start to get a glimpse of what's happening in our world right now. A bunch of people who are drinking each other's poison, running around, trying to find more poison, and at the end of the day, there's got to be an antidote to it, right? There's got to be a way to flip the script on it, if we're going to dump it out. So now we've got this world full of poison seekers, right? And so they're running around, they're doing their thing, and at the end of the day, Jesus wants us to live this way. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here's what we have to do. We have to dump out the poison and grab a fruit cup. on somebody. I got to get rid of this poison and I got to walk around with a cup full of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And then what starts happening? Oh, what's up, bud? Want to share some fruit? (laughs) Don't drink it. That's gross. (laughs) We don't need poison shares. We need to start sharing some of this other stuff—the fruit of the spirit around here. We don't need any more wrath in the world around us. Am I talking to anybody in church this morning? That's good. Man, what you fill your cup with determines everything. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, "Is your cup filled with fruit?" <laughs> I don't know about you, but I got myself a dull cup this morning. <laughs> Number three, third truth is this. Come on, I'm having fun this morning. This is important stuff. This is stuff we gotta get. The world, doesn't not, the world does not need any more wrath in it. It needs, some, it needs some people with some fruit cups in their hand saying, listen, let's not share poison. Let's share some fruit. Because this fruit will change you. It'll change who you are. Come on, somebody. This will change your marriage. It will change... The atmosphere of your job, it will change where you find yourself in church. It will change your table group. It will change your school. It will change your neighborhood. Yes. Is it poison? Or is it fruit? Last one's this. Last truth. We will end on this. Wrath is overcome by the overcomer yeah. Luke chapter 23 33-34 when they arrived at the place called the skull they crucified him there wrath in full gate come on that, that's the picture of wrath a mob of people who had once been following him now is the mob of people who are rejecting him The mob of people who were, oh Jesus, he's so awesome, he's so awesome, are now the ones that are yelling, crucify him. Now how many of you know, this would be an awesome story, is that if we're reading, they got to the place of the skull, and as they were there, and as they put him on a cross, Jesus decided, you know what, I'm done with this. And he, pop, pop, got down off the cross, and he exacted power. Power. Right, that's what we want. We want like the comic book version of Jesus. Don't we? Like, dog, oh, you're all dead. Oh. I'm being animated this morning because I need you to hear this. I need you to hear like the way that it feels and the way that it works out. We want that. We want Jesus to get off the cross. When I read it sometime, I'm wrathful for him. Get off. Just, just let everybody know that you're powerful. That would convince them. But what did Jesus do? He stayed and then Jesus said something father smite them (laughs) no it doesn't say that father come on what did he say? Forgive forgive them, why? because we weren't his enemies he was at war with another enemy He was at war with the enemy that produced wrath in us, causing us to crucify him because of lack of knowledge. See, Jesus didn't need to get down and deal with the people that had put him there. Jesus had to stay. He had to forgive. He had to be buried. Then he had to get up three days later so that he could defeat the ultimate enemy, the one who was producing all of this in the first place. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. But, oh, I'm going to make that devil pay. So he lay down for three days, and then he got up out of the grave, and it changed Easter productions all over the world, because it doesn't look good to have Jesus get off the cross in the middle of it all. So what's the practical behavior? Here it is, accept forgiveness, give forgiveness accept forgiveness and give forgiveness Jesus said Father forgive them for they know not what they do can I ask us this morning to forgive those who have hurt us can I ask you don't you don't know what they did to me No, no, but you don't, you don't know what they said to me. We've just spent the past 30 minutes discussing what wrath does, and we've all got an option in front of you. We all have a, an option in front of us. I'm either going to stay the center of my universe, right, and I'm going to hold my cup of poison, I'm going to hold on to unforgiveness and that's how I'm going to live my life out or I'm going to remove myself from the center of the universe and I'm going to trust God with all the stuff and then I'm going to dump out my poison on the way and I'm going to grab a fruit cup and then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that fruit cup. It's got some strawberries in it. It's got some apples in it. Some big old Costco grapes. You know, those aren't organic. And I'm going to take my cup oh come on somebody I'm going to take my cup and I'm going to give him what changes him and in that we get to see the thing that we shout about in churches revival here's the question do we want revival? yeah the question is are you willing to give up your cup? I'm wearing a shirt right now. It says revival on the back. Is it a shirt? Or is it a reality? So we're holding on to all kinds of stuff in here this morning, church. All kinds of things that we have the decision in front of us to go, what am I going to do with it?